Lord, we are thankful for your amazing grace, your grace that has saved us and that has brought us into this new covenant, Lord. And I pray that today as we study your word, God, that you would show us what it looks like to live in response to your gospel and in response to this grace that we've been shown. We thank you for what you're going to do. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, go ahead and have a seat. If you have a copy of God's word, open it with me to Luke's gospel, chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, welcome to the jungle today. That's actually what I say to myself every week as I'm coming out here to preach. Uh, just kidding. Just <laughs> um, I'm usually just saying, Lord, please help <laughs> as I walk out here to preach. Uh, we are excited about Vacation Bible School, if you can't tell. Uh, by the way, Lathaniel totally almost took out the tiger earlier. Uh, I can't let that go, brother. That was awesome. Bob's like praying for dads. Lathaniel looks up like he's wrestling a tiger up here. I don't know what's going on. It was so awesome. And there's no way to play it off. That's what I was He was like, oh, and then, it, yeah, it was just great. It was great. I can't wait to watch the live feed later. I hope we caught that. Uh, but we are pumped up about Vacation Bible School. I hope you are too. And I'll tell you what I told the first service. If you're not, get there, all right? That's all I can tell you. You got to get there. If you're not pumped up about Vacation Bible School, you should be. We are really excited about the opportunity just to pour into some kiddos and just show them the love of Christ and teach them about what it means to love him. Uh, we have so far somewhere around 80 just pre-registered. So we are certainly thinking some more will show up. So we're pretty pumped about that. Uh, not just because we want a bunch of kids here, but because we want to share the gospel with them. So we're really excited about the opportunity to do that. So uh, continue to pray about that. In fact, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on. But here at Crossroad, if you're new here, what we do is we preach the Bible. Now, uh, Obviously, that should kind of probably be something that is pretty standard, but unfortunately, in the modern church, that's not really a given anymore. But when you come to Crossroad, we will be opening up the scriptures and teaching the Bible. So generally, we're either working our way through a book or through a large section of scripture. Of course, there are times where we do different series to address certain things, but primarily, even then, we will be going to scripture and seeing what God has to say to us. So we've been walking together through the Gospel of Luke now for several months, and we've taken some breaks here and there, but we're all, all the way here to chapter six, and I think it's really cool to see how God works in seasons like this because when we decided that we were going to walk through the Gospel of Luke way back in December, I definitely was not thinking, hey, that's going to work out because on June the 16th, we will be the day before Vacation Bible School and we'll have a very relevant message. Can I just tell you, I'm not that good. I didn't know what I was going to preach like four or five days ago, so I definitely didn't know what I was going to preach four or five months ago. But it's really cool to see how faithful God is to give us the right word in its proper season and in the moment when we need it the most. And I think God has a very important reminder for us today. In last week's message, we talked about how the gospel of Jesus Christ should always be stretching us. We should never get to a point where we think we've arrived and where we're done growing, but every day... The gospel should make us love God more and love people more. And we noticed that the religious leaders of Jesus' day did not really appreciate this message. 
because they were still living by this old covenant of trying to be churchy and religious and keep the law. And Jesus said, no, I've brought in a new covenant and there is a new way to live by the law of love and by the law of the gospel. And Jesus talked about that and they did not really respond well. In fact, in the first 11 verses of chapter six that we are not gonna read and study together, there's really just two more instances where the religious leaders come up to Jesus and say, hey, you're not doing it right. Hey, what are you doing? And they accuse him of things and Jesus pushes back and it gets to the point where in verse 11, it straight up says the religious leaders got together and put their heads together and said, we've got to get rid of this guy. He is messing things up. We've got to get rid of Jesus. So all of that brings us to this point where Luke's narrative is now going to turn away from the opponents of Jesus and turn towards the disciples of Christ. And we're going to see in this passage that Jesus begins to effectively multiply his ministry through his followers. So let's read this passage, a couple short scriptures together, and then we'll pray and ask the Lord to help us. Luke chapter 6, we'll start in verse 12. The word of the Lord says this, in these days Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Verse 17, Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. Will you all pray with me again? Jesus, we need your help today to understand this passage and to be able to apply it to our lives and to be changed by it. Lord, we know that your word is living and active and that you seek to speak to us through it. So Lord, may we approach this as such today. We don't just want to be smarter. We don't just want to hear something new. We don't want to just feel good today. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to walk out of here saying we have heard from God. So do what you do as we read and study your word together, and that speak to our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, this passage actually begins a longer narrative that we most likely know as the Sermon on the Mount. And by the way, we're going to be talking about that over the next several weeks. In fact, we're starting a new sermon series. You ready for a quick commercial? It's called Summer on the Mount. Huh? Okay, the cheese, the cheese factor is high today. All right, uh, but uh, I came up with that, so I feel proud of the cheesiness, so don't worry about it. That wasn't like everyone putting their heads together, this is the best we could come up with. No, that's all this guy. I'm going to own it. But we're going to have some cool, it's going to be great, all right? So uh, it, Summer on the Mount, we're going to basically walk through the Sermon on the Mount, or uh, some people refer to Luke's version of this as the Sermon on the Plain, because it's a little bit abbreviated. But either way, here's the reality. The Sermon on the Mount, I think, is the original and the best discipleship curriculum ever written and created. The Sermon on the Mount is basically Jesus' way of telling us how the disciples, how followers of Christ should live their life. So this section is really building up and leading towards the Sermon on the Mount, but Luke sets this up by talking about Jesus calling the apostles and also their first ministry action together. Verse 12 said, Jesus went up to the mountain to pray, 
and that he literally prayed all night. Now, don't get this twisted. If I were to tell you that I had prayed all night, here's likely what you would assume. You would assume that I stayed up all night worried about something. You're like, I'm just, I just prayed all night. Can I tell you, for me, that usually means I tossed and turned and was just worried sick about something going on in my life. But Jesus is not doing this. The text doesn't seem to allude to that at all. In fact, verse 13 says, when day came after bathing this decision in prayer, after spending serious time with the Lord, that he comes down the mountain and chooses the twelve. You can study this list of the disciples uh, in the different gospels. Sometimes the names are a little different, but most biblical scholars agree these are the same 12 guys that we become associated with throughout the gospels. And these are an interesting group of guys. In fact, I would refer to them as a ragtag group of characters. Jesus could have chose just about anybody. There were thousands of disciples at this point. Jesus could have chosen anybody. He could have tried to find somebody with political power. He could have tried to find somebody with some ends in the religious world to kind of get into the church side of things. He could have found some more influential folks, but we don't see him doing that. Instead, he prays and then ends up selecting this group of blue-collar workers. Some of them certainly had some financial means, we, we believe at least. Some didn't. Uh, some were, in fact, Simon it calls him a zealot. He was basically considered a terrorist toward the Roman government. This is the disciples. Like, it's a crazy group of guys. And the reality is, is even a cursory study of these men would tell you this. God can and does use very random people for his kingdom purposes. Aren't you glad for that today? Because here we are a couple thousand years later and God is still using a ragtag group of people to do incredible things for his kingdom's sake. I'm thankful for that. God isn't looking at things the way the world looks at things. The world may marginalize you and push you to the outside, but the Bible shows us time and time again, and Luke has shown us time and time again, that Jesus goes out of his way to engage the outsiders. And this isn't just for a photo op, right? Like, it's not like he comes in and says, hey, all right, see you guys later. No, right? He is there, and he's not just doing it to make them feel better and feel like they're part of the club, no, but he selects the 12, and what do they do? They go and they get to work. They go and immediately begin the work of ministry. This is crazy to the world, but in God's economy, this is absolutely normal. Like I said earlier, 2,000 years later, God is still using random, ordinary, crazy people like us to do his work. It's incredible. But notice what happens. It's not like Jesus says, all right, you 12, you're the apostles, Come with me to this retreat center. Let's hang out for a few months and try to uh, get ready to go and do some things. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, okay, you 12, you're now the apostles. Go to seminary. No, he doesn't do that. Instead, he calls them and they go down the mountain and get to work doing things for the kingdom of God. Thousands of people are there. We see that Je Jesus is ministering to them and the power of God was upon Christ. So all of this sets us up and leads us into what is going to happen in Jesus' teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And these details are important for us to kind of set the table and prepare our hearts for what's going to start next week. But what I want us to do this morning is to take a few minutes to look at something that I think may go under the radar if we're not careful. Because Jesus here is going to make a big decision, yet he's also going to get to doing some kingdom work 
But what we're going to see is that prayer kind of undergirds this entire process. The foundation of this decision-making, the foundation of this kingdom work was prayer. All of it was the result and the overflow of Jesus' prayer life. That's actually what makes Luke's telling of this story unique. The other gospels talk about Jesus calling the 12, but Luke is the only one that tells us that Jesus went up on the mountain and prayed all night before making this decision. I believe that the reason this distinction is here is because the Lord would have us to stop and reflect on this together today. It's so informative for us this morning. Jesus prayed all night, then he made big decisions, then he got to work. And he was working in and through the power of God. Church, it's so important that we get this right today in our lives. The sad reality is that in the Western church today, we can be very successful. Per our culture standards, our church can be amazingly successful without experiencing and realizing the power of God in our midst. But this isn't just an American Western church problem. You go all the way back to 2 Timothy 3, and Paul is writing to a young pastor named Timothy who pastored the church in Ephesus, and he said, there are some who have the appearance of godliness but lack the power. They have the appearance of godliness but lack the power thereof, if you want to go King James on them, all right? So they look godly, it seems like everything's great, but there's no power of God in their lives. Unfortunately, I believe today that it's so easy for us to look like everything's good, to have the appearance to say the right things and do the right things, but at the end of the day, never be experiencing the power and presence of God in our lives. Do you see how this connects to last week's message Luke has spent great time telling us that the religious leaders, the churchy people of Jesus' day were so consumed with looking like they had everything together, with saying and doing the right things and always being right all of the time. They were so consumed with these things that they completely abandoned the power and presence of God. They were spiritually dead and they didn't even know it. Jesus will go on to compare them to whitewashed tombs. He said, you're like a grave, you dress it up and make it look real pretty, but it's death inside of there. They're spiritually dead and didn't even know it. And immediately following these conflicts with the religious leaders, we're going to see Jesus modeling for us how we can keep this in check in our own lives. And the way we do that is by intentionally stopping from our busy and chaotic lives to spend time with God in prayer. Listen to me, church. This is going to be a little bit painful, but we need to think about this together. Prayer is the greatest indicator of your spiritual life. Prayer is the greatest indicator of your spiritual health. How do you know how, how your relationship with the Lord is doing? Let me ask you a question. How's your prayer life today? Now, I'll just tell you, I don't like that, right? Like, I, I'm the one preaching this message. I don't like this point, all right? Because prayer is not my default. I'm all about let me do some Bible study, uh, let me go serve, let me do something for the kingdom of God, but please don't lock me in a room with Jesus, <laughs> right? Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? And you're like, this is just tough for me, and prayer is difficult for us. But Jesus is showing us that if we want to have a real relationship with God, 
It starts with serious prayer. Here's the reality. Everything done apart from prayer is going to lack the power of God. We said this last week, but we need to say it again. We, we don't want to just be a religious group of people. We don't want to just be a churchy people that maintains the churchy status quo. We want to be a people who are doing bold things for the kingdom of God. We want to reach, teach, live, and love like Jesus. That is the mission that we believe God has given us. But here's the bottom line. We cannot do this without the power and presence of God. But this is the scary reality. We could be what the Western world calls a pretty awesome church without that. But I tell you, I don't want to be an awesome church in the eyes of the world. I want us to be a church who is fulfilling the mission that God has given us. So what I want us to do is look at two very specific ways that Jesus models the importance of prayer. Now, I've just made a case for you in a very brief amount of time that prayer should be the foundation of everything in our lives, and I believe that, but here Luke gives us two instances, two kind of sneak peeks at the life of Christ and how he modeled the importance of prayer in two specific areas. So let's look at those together today. The first thing we see in this text is that Jesus models praying before making decisions. He models praying before making decisions. We need to pray before we make decisions. The average human makes around 35,000 decisions a day. That's crazy, and the reason I know that is because I had a calendar the other day and I started when I woke up. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Decision one, use a counter to make decisions. Decision two, this is gonna be weird, but I'm gonna keep going. Decision three, after eating breakfast, I still think I need to, yeah, no, it's not how it happened. Science tells us this, that we make around 35,000 conscious decisions. That is incredible, isn't it? Some of those decisions are huge, like who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live? What am I going to do with my life? Those are huge decisions. Some of them seem small, like what am I going to eat for lunch today? Which kind of donut am I going to select, right? What am I going to wear? Those are all important decisions as well, right? And in the midst of that, what we don't realize is that every one of those 35,000 decisions shapes our lives. The big and the small decisions and what happens in those moments literally forms our identity and makes us who we are. We've all experienced big moments in our lives where big decisions must be made. Jesus was at this point. Again, there were thousands of people following him, the Bible tells us. And at this point, he's realizing that he needs to, and I say realizing, it's not like the Savior had to wake up and say, huh, I think I need to do something different, right? But Jesus, in this moment, knows that it's time to select 12 that he will pour into. Because I tell you what, Jesus was probably the greatest preacher communicator to ever live, beyond the shadow of a doubt. I don't, I don't know why I say probably, but he was. And, but if, he, if we only had collections of teachings, I don't know if the kingdom is still moving today. But the reason the kingdom is still moving is because he intentionally poured his life into 12 people who would then go on to pour their lives into others. By the way, that's the method of discipleship that we believe should still be happening today. You realize that, that I love you and I am your pastor, and it's a blessing to be your pastor, but let me just tell you, in a church of five to 700 people, I can't be everybody's best friend. 
But can I tell you what I have done? I intentionally am pouring into our leaders and into our ministry leaders, our staff and our lay leaders, and I pour my life out into them. And the goal is that you will then go and pour your life into others and that through all of us pouring our lives into each other, big things happen for the kingdom of God. We didn't just make that model up. We ripped it off from Jesus, okay? It's always a good idea. <laughs> you know, of, all the, of all the people you could rip ministry ideas from, Jesus is the model, all right? And this is what he did here. So this is a big decision because Jesus knows these are the people who are going to be leading the early church. So Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray, and he prayed all night. Again, I want to clarify Jesus isn't like you and me. I promise he's not like up there on the mountain pacing around like, who am I going to pick? Who am I going to pick? I don't really know. I'm not that guy. And, you know, it's not like uh, he has the whiteboard and he's like scratching names off. Not them. And he's just like, what am I going to do? He doesn't have a list of pros and cons going on everybody. He's not calling around and saying, hey, what do you think? What do you think? No, it said that he spent time in prayer. And after spending the night in prayer, what's he do? He goes and makes the decision. He goes and chooses the 12 who would be the apostles. Just a reminder, the Bible says don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Do you have big decisions coming up in your life? The invitation is to pray and ask God to help you, to give you wisdom and discernment. Don't worry about it. Pray about it. About a year ago, Mallory and I were praying about a decision that really was life-altering for us. And that prayer eventually led to us sending a resume to the search firm that was leading the process for the pastor search here at Crossroad. Our life was literally turning upside down. Let me just tell you, this was never in the cards in our brains, okay? And the reality is we spent a couple months praying probably as hard as we have prayed about something in our lives fervently calling out to God, seeking his will, seeking his direction. And that led us to the point where we were able to confidently take a step that just to be honest with you, most people in our lives said was crazy. They've been proven to be correct, by the way. Just kidding. But the reason we were able to do that is because we had been seeking the Lord and we've been saying whatever you want to do and just pouring our hearts out before him for two months. So when the time came, we were like, let's do it. Now, I know what you're thinking. He is so spiritual. Okay, maybe you're not thinking that. All right, but let me just tell you what's convicted me as I prepared this message. That's the last good example I have. That was a year ago. Now, granted, we haven't made any decisions for the last year. Uh, 35,000 a day times uh, 365-ish, you know. No, we, it's the last time that I really remember saying, Lord, we need your help and spending serious time in prayer. Do you see how easy it is? You probably are like me. You could probably give testimony to a big moment in your life. A big time where you and your spouse, you and your friends, you and your family called out to God. And that's a wonderful thing. But can I tell you, what would happen if we started doing that in every area of our lives all the time? Why is that the exception? Why do we wait for the two or three big moments in our lifetimes to call out to God when we're making a decision? If every single one of our decisions is shaping us and making us who we need to be, we certainly need to be calling out 
to God and seeking his direction for our lives. It's so easy to be the the ready, fire, aim guy, right? But we don't need to just think about it. We don't need to just make a list of pros and cons. We don't need to just worry about it and talk about it with everybody else. But the invitation is to pray about it. We have a God who cares about the big things in our lives, but also the small things in our lives. James 1 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to those who ask. The Bible is just full of passages. Think about Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified, and it says wisdom goes in the streets and says to everybody who will listen, I'm out here. Hey, everybody, wisdom's here. Come and get me. That's a rusty paraphrase version, but that's basically what it says. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets and says, come and find me. Yet no one responds. Did you know that God's wisdom is available to you if you would ask him for it? How many decisions in your life, how many parts of your life are being shaped by the world? They're being shaped by your family. They're being shaped by what everybody else says. They're even being shaped by your own brain and your own heart. And that's scary if it's me, all right? When God says, ask me and I'll give you wisdom. Let's be a people who pray about the decisions in our lives and make decisions that have been saturated in prayer, the big and the small, and I believe we'll see a difference in our lives. Jesus models that for us here. But not only does Jesus pray before making decisions, but he also models for us praying before getting to work. We need to pray before kingdom work. This is a good word for us today because I think it's so easy for us to forget that we are doing a spiritual work, that this is a spiritual work here. We're not operating a business. This isn't a religious nonprofit, but God is doing a spiritual work in this place. There are literally forces of evil and forces of good right now that are at war. There is a spiritual war that is happening in this place right now. We have a real enemy and the forces of evil are at work in this place even as we're preaching this message right now. And God's army is at work too. You might be thinking, oh wow, this guy's one of those. Yeah, I'm a Bible guy. And Ephesians 6.12 says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Church, do you see this? We are doing a very spiritual work. I'm convinced today that if the Lord would just peel back the curtain for a split second and we could see the spiritual forces that are out there in our lives today, I'm convinced that if that were to happen right now, that I would never have to preach another message on prayer again that we would know we need to pray, that we would be calling out to God, that we would be saying, Lord, help. Because the reality is there is spiritual warfare that is happening all around us. And we ought to be a praying people because it's so easy to forget that. It's easy to rely on our programs, our earthly methods, our ministries, our leaders, our activities, our churchy stuff. But here's what we need to say. We cannot do this. 
we cannot do anything without the help of the Lord. Jesus comes off the mountain after praying all night. And the Bible says he began to heal. He began to minister to people and that the power of God was coming out of him. Now, you may be thinking right now, okay, well, but that was Jesus. And granted, you and I are not Jesus. But here's what's crazy to me. Jesus told his disciples and told us through the Gospels that it will be better for us when he leaves us. Why did he say that? Because I will send the helper, the Holy Spirit. Here's what that means for us, church. The fullness of God dwells in Jesus and the fullness of Jesus dwells in you through the Holy Spirit. So if you are a Christ follower today, the fullness of God dwells within you. But let me ask you a question. If the fullness of God dwells in us, why don't we experience the power and presence of God in our lives? I believe it's because we've forgotten God. The modern church works in ways that are completely independent of God and his spirit. Somewhere along the way, we stopped writing checks that only God could cash. We stopped trying to do incredible things for the kingdom of God. We've settled for modern marketing techniques and religious appearances, but we lack the power of God. Church family, I'm tired of business as usual. I'm tired of just playing church. I'm ready to see God move. I'm ready to experience the power and presence of God in ways that we have never expected or imagined. I'm ready to attempt some crazy, ridiculous things for the kingdom of God. And I know some of you are like me. Some of you right now are like, yeah, let's do this. Give us a 10-point bullet list of what we need to do. Let's make it happen. But here's what's hard. This is so counterintuitive for us. But Jesus says, do you want to do epic things for my kingdom? Do you want to see me work in ways that you would never think or imagine? Do you want to see me working in and through you in incredible ways? Do you want to fulfill the mission of God? Here's where it starts. Stop. Stop. And ask me for my help. We've got to be a people who stop and ask Jesus to help us. We need to admit that we cannot do this. But Jesus has called us to a mission. And if he's called us to a mission, he can equip us and prepare us to be able to reach, teach, live, and love like he does. I truly believe that this is a type of message that could change your life today. I think that's, you know, granted, I, you may be thinking, well, that's just preacher talk. But what would happen if we became a people that were serious about prayer? Individually, as families, as a church? Today, I want to give us a very, very real starting point. Starting tomorrow evening, we will have in this room over 100 people. Kids, leaders, folks that are pouring into these kids. And can I just tell you, uh, I know for sure that several of the kiddos that are coming, 
don't really have a church background, don't really know much about Jesus. I know that for a fact because I've, I've been involved in some phone calls of people calling and asking questions about it. What is this whole VBS thing? It's a great question because that means that we are reaching some people who are unchurched. We're excited about that. But let me just tell you something. We've got some fantastic leaders. We've got a great staff. Uh, We have tons of people that are serving to make this possible. They're all around you in some blue shirts today, and they are pumped up about it, and I believe God's going to use them to do some cool things. But let me just make something very clear. We cannot accomplish this on our own. Oh, we could have a, a great VBS, lots of people, eat some good snacks, have a good time, and talk about how great it was but we cannot push back against the darkness without the help of Jesus. I think about some of the kiddos that are going to show up, what life looks like for them on a daily basis. It's so easy to come in and just do something like this, to just get to work and make VBS happen, but can I tell you something? Generations of families could be changed by what happens here this week. I've heard countless testimonies of people who gave their lives to Christ at a vacation Bible school or who were introduced to church for the first time through vacation Bible school. So here's what I want us to do today. This is unusual for us. We don't do this every week, but today during our response song, I'm going to invite our church family as an individual, maybe as a family. If the Lord leads you to, I want you to come up to this altar. You could kneel. You can just stand up here, and I want you to pray for vacation Bible school this week. Pray that God would protect our kids, that he would protect the leaders, that he would bless the time, that they would have fun, but most importantly, cry out to God and ask that he would save people who need to come to know him for the first time, and that it would create opportunities for us to reach out to families. And here's what my prayer is for us as a church. I want this, what we're going to do this morning, to become the heartbeat of your daily life. My prayer is that next Sunday when we come and we're celebrating what God has done, that we can stop and say, this only happened because of Jesus. I'm going to ask the praise team to make their way up here. I'm going to pray for us now and ask God to help us apply this word, to imprint this upon our hearts and our souls in a way that changes us. And then I'm going to invite you to come pray here for this week during our response song. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for your word. God, we are, have been challenged today, no doubt. Lord, we are aware that we fall short so often. We know that there are big decisions to be made in our church family. There's a lot of work to be done. God, it doesn't make sense to our flesh, but but because you've revealed your truth to us, we know that the only thing that makes sense is for us just to stop today and cry out to you and ask you to help. So Lord, as we do this in a very practical way now for ministry happening this week, would you imprint this moment upon our hearts so that this would become the norm? that we would cry out to you for energy for our day, that we would cry out to you for passion in our weekly ministries, that we would cry out to you for help each and every moment of each and every day. Lord, show us how dependent we are upon you. 